the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. everyone my name is kyle you're listening to the knowledge from the couch podcast this is episode number 1414 we are talking about nelly bly today she is an interesting lady she's got a lot of cool shit she did and we're gonna hit all that in just a couple of minutes but first i just wanted to, to do our regular roundup and remind people about what's going on in my life just in general so you know, the, the, the past couple of episodes, you, you've heard a few things here and there, and I sound a little bit uh, vexed or a little bit uncertain about stuff, and that's just the stress talking, always the stress talking. The day that you hear this, December 15th is this when this will be published, I will be graduating from nursing school that day, and... It's quite an accomplishment. Uh, I didn't really want to do much about it. I don't really even really like to think about it all that much because I, I never really, you know, at this stage in life, being a, an old man going through nursing school with a, a, yada, a lot of young men, a lot of young ladies mostly, you know, they you see that and everybody's excited and stuff. And I remember the first time I graduated from college and all all the good that did for me. The good that did was it helped me launch a podcast like 14 years later. And anyhow, um, you know, just, just just thinking about it, going, oh, yeah, you know, I've already been through this song and dance. Everybody else is excited, but I'm not going to get too excited. And then it's 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 exciting. You know, it should be exciting. It's it's the end of, of another little chapter uh, in my life, something I've been working on the past four years, and I'll hold another bachelor's degree here uh, very soon. And it's just crazy. So I'm in I'm in higher spirits. I'm in lifted spirits than I was last few episodes, you know, trying to figure out a way to get through all my precepted twelve hour shifts with my person and trying to figure out how to make a a, a capstone or a you know, it's a kind of a dissertation light, so to speak, um presentation by the end that was gonna be hopefully halfway worth a shit. And I almost Almost did a bonus episode just based solely on my capstone, almost as a way to practice talking it out. But then I thought that would be super fucking stupid because who the shit wants to hear what I have to say about post-operative AFib? Who wants to hear any of that shit besides no one? Exactly. So instead of that, we're just going to get your old regular episode uh, coming up here today. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. And um, I just want to thank everybody so far in this journey for for following me. I, I remember 
first getting the idea to, to record this thing back in the summer here, uh, probably in, I think the bug really bit me in June and July uh, of me really thinking about doing something like this and then really taking it seriously by the end of July to where in August, right before uh, the semester, my final semester of school started, I had already recorded uh, a couple of episodes. I had acquired equipment. I did all the fun stuff, and it was it was crazy, you know, just this weird, stupid idea. But I didn't release any episodes, obviously, until September uh, because I wanted to kind of get ahead of it because of school and stuff. And then, you know, got better and better at doing the show, better at editing the show, better at doing it quicker. So I was still able to keep up a schedule. And I think that maybe, not quite, but maybe I'm almost as proud of keeping up a weekly sort of podcast show with bonus episodes, by the way, during my final semester of nursing school. Maybe I should be more proud of that than the entirety of my nursing school accomplishment, but not quite. Uh, school was more expensive and a lot tougher. So I'll keep this as a solid number two, though. Solid number two. So when you're listening to this, and I hope that you do, tomorrow, December the 15th of 2017, I will be busy getting everything ready to go put a gown on like it's the 16th century and sit there and uh, we can all pat ourselves on the back for a while and, and have a great time. And then it's on to bigger and better things after that. But that's besides the point. All I wanted to, to really put out there was that I'm feeling a, a giant weight lifted off my shoulders uh, about finally being done with this whole thing and getting ready to transition into the next stage in life. But that doesn't mean anything when it comes to the podcast because I'm going to continue doing this. I'm having a good time every week, even when it feels a little bit rushed. I'm having a great time making the show, going through the process, um, speaking into a microphone like a crazy person. Honestly, it's actually made me a lot better public speaker as well. Now, obviously, doing a podcast thing like this isn't public speaking. I put it out to the public who can then hear me speak about whatever the fuck I feel like talking about, but it's not actually sitting in front of anybody and talking and doing all that stuff. But I think it's lent, you know, a, a sort of projection of a sort of um, pseudo-professionalism or at least somewhat confidence into my voice where it, it, it's changed a lot of things for me when it comes to that too. So I can I can thank this weird, ridiculous thing for, for adding that in for me as well. So all that stuff besides one. And oh, one more thing, one more, one more thing before we run into the story that we're going to talk about, the, the lady Nellie Bly that we're going to talk about. I want to let everyone know that the past few episodes, probably the last maybe four or five episodes, I'm not sure which, I am adding um, chapters into the podcast uh, through the hosting site. So what that means is if you absolutely hate just hearing me talk about nothing for four or five, six minutes on the top of the show, you can skip that part completely. I'll have a chapter where, I mean, obviously when you hit play, you'll hear the intro and the song. I'll have a chapter that you can skip that right to my little monologue at the beginning. I'll have another chapter where you can skip that straight to the segue song. You can skip that straight to the meat of the story, which is the middle part. You can skip that to the fact of the week. You can skip that all the way to the outro. So if you – it's already not a very long podcast, but I know I've heard from a couple people that you know it's really kind of long-winded and stuff at the beginning of the story, and I certainly agree with that. 
although I still don't care because I'm having a fun time just shooting the shit with my microphone here. So I'm giving everyone the option to 1,000% per skint, 1,000% skip this if you would like to. I don't want you to. I'd love to hear you or I'd love for you to hear me talk to myself. But at the same time, I 1,000, 1,000, 1,000% understand if you don't want to. So you can, you could have, and you can, and you will be able to going forward, skip this part if you'd like to. That's the last thing I want to talk about. So without further ado, and we've adieued far too much, let's talk a little bit about Nellie Bly. So Nellie Bly, this is an interesting story, and, and, and it's so funny. I, I I wasn't even hardly aware of it. I I'd heard bits and pieces of it uh, here and there the last you know year or two randomly. Um, you know, it's always surprising how many stories exist just on a on a random tangent. How many stories and people exist that you know you've heard stuff about and you know are interesting, and then they kind of just fall to the back of your brain, or they're they're locked in there somewhere. Where you stumble across this and go, oh, gee, how could I, how could I have forgotten how cool this story is, how cool this person is? So Nellie Bly is one of those stories for me because I, I had heard, you know, things here and there uh, about her and, and with her story and stuff, and they just kind of put it to the back of my mind. It wasn't one of my original ideas to do uh, a thing about her when I was first coming up with different story ideas and stuff for this podcast, but then. You know, you just kind of get to reading, and all of a sudden, you you see a name and go, "What? What's this?" And then you you see it. And, oh shit, that's a wonderful story. I should do a, I should do an episode on that. And she's absolutely one of those one of those characters. I'm I'm almost uh, ashamed that I didn't do one on her earlier. She's so cool. But Nellie Bly is not actually her name. Nellie Bly is a pen name that she used when she was writing. Her actual name is uh, Elizabeth Cochran. She was born in uh, eighteen sixty four. Uh, May 5th in Pennsylvania. So I guess first thing to know about her is that her dad was an epic uh, progenitor, apparently. Uh, Her dad, Michael Cochran, had 10 kids with his first wife and then five more kids, including our Nellie Bly, with his second wife. So she has freaking 14 siblings just, you know, because that's what you do in the uh, the mid-19th century is pump out like a freaking squad of children, a, a literal battalion of kids. Like we can make a baseball team with a bench. Kids. We could field two basketball teams, both with benches. Amount of kids. So with that amount of children, that amount of, of siblings, you got to do something to, to stand out. 
So a young Elizabeth, or a young Nellie. I'm just going to refer to her as Nellie, basically, for the rest of the thing, because it's a cooler name, and it's basically what she went by uh, for a lot of her life uh, after she got into her stuff. But young Nellie, her nickname was Pinky when she was a little girl because she always wore pink because she liked to kind of stand out of the crowd, and it was her way of sort of you know popping out and saying, hey, look at me, I've, I'm cool too, I need attention too, I want someone to see the stuff that I can do. And then she gets a little older, and she decides to drop the whole pink act, and she wants to be a little bit more scholarly and a little bit more grown up, so she drops that sort of stuff, goes to boarding school for a little while, then her dad dies, and she can't stay in boarding school because her family, which is gigantic, obviously, doesn't have uh, uh, really any money anymore, so... Her mom packs up with the family, and they move over to Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And there's a newspaper article that is written in the uh, Pittsburgh Dispatch that uh, Nellie sees. And the article is called, What Girls Are Good For? And this article, as you could probably guess, an article written in the 1880s, this article implied that girls were only good for birthing children and keeping house and doing womanly things like a guy like Roy Moore would think that you would do. She was not very happy with this sort of offering, so she decided that she was going to write in to the Pittsburgh Dispatch um, in a counterpoint to the, the What Girls Are Good For article. Now, mind you, at this point, it's 1880 when that article comes out. She was born in 1864, so she's only 16 years old when this comes out. And she's already all up in the business of this fucking newspaper. So she writes a letter in response, and she uses the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. Uh, and it's, in it is her response, obviously, saying that she absolutely doesn't agree with that. She knocks everything down. She says this is why this is bullshit. And, you know, obviously not in those crude, crude words. But that's the way she sort of does it. The editor of the paper, George Madden, is extremely impressed with this response to this article that was written and he actually ran an advertisement in his paper asking for the author of that to identify themselves so that they could grab him super quick then she goes and you know decides hey somebody found my thing interesting i'm gonna go and introduce myself she goes and uh talks to george madden the editor and you know reveals herself as the lonely orphan girl who wrote the article after that point she starts writing uh, for the Pittsburgh Dispatch as sort of an, an, uh, an investigative journalist type person. So she would she would go and she would write stories about like women factory workers and uh, other things on like the lives of working women because she was this she was this total gung ho like women rock. Let's go fucking cover it, and it was really cool. Then, of course, in a classic you know eighteen eighties move. The Pittsburgh Dispatch eventually moves her to, quote, the women's pages, unquote, for her to cover fashion, society, and gardening, being, you know, the things that the the men running the newspaper thought that women journalists, which I'm sure they scoffed at the entire term, women journalists, where they believed those women belonged, writing stories about fashion, society, and gardening, and things like that, not, you know, cool investigative stories like women factory workers and stuff like that. Well, of course... Being the badass she is and being way under-challenged, she becomes extremely dissatisfied with writing stupid shit like that. 
So to uh, get her adrenaline junkie on, at 21 years old, she decides to just go to Mexico. She's in Pittsburgh, and then she's like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to go to Mexico and write some stories about the Mexican people, which she eventually publishes in a book called Six Months in Mexico, which you can purchase if you so desire. Basically, she goes, uh, hangs out in Mexico for six months, trying to just kind of see how these Mexican people all around are are living, just how they live and, and how she can embed herself in that society and see what's going on. She eventually reports that um, there's imprisonment of a local journalist for criticizing the Mexican government. Now, this is under the uh, the dictator uh, Porfirio Diaz, who served as the, quote, president law of Mexico for like 30-some-odd years, and it's literally the reason why these days the Mexican Constitution says if you are president of Mexico, you can only be president of Mexico for six years, one time, the end, and that's the end of it. You can never, ever serve another term, even if that term was to come, you know, 15 years later, and you're serving non-consecutive terms. This dude was the guy who literally... uh literally led to term limits in the Mexican presidency. And he's the president at the time. She's down there. She gets mad. She sees this uh, Mexican journalist imprisoned, imprisoned for criticizing the Mexican government, as you do sometimes when you're in journalism. And Diaz, you know, and she was just absolutely out of her mind with this. She, you know, being an American, she, she saw this as extremely uh, uncouth. You know, it's very, uh, very against what an American, you know, with, with First Amendment rights in this country would think and Diaz then decides to threaten her because he gets word of this entire thing and says hey if you keep talking shit we are gonna fucking throw you in a prison and 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 throw away the key so talk you know talk to me now what do you gotta say about that she's like okay and runs on back to America because obviously she doesn't want to just be thrown in a prison to rot forever she has cool shit she still needs to do in life but then she gets back to America and starts talking shit again, calling uh, Diaz a tyrannical czar, suppressing the Mexican people and controlling the press. So obviously she writes all this in six months in Mexico. So she that's her that's her first real sort of investigative journalist, you know, sort of in embedding themselves in something cool. One of her most notable things, though, is what she ended up doing uh, a couple of years later after having done this. She does what she's probably most known for. Well, she's she's known for two things, really. But this is probably the first huge thing that she did where she really gained a whole ton of notoriety. So, in 1887, she's, she's looking for work. She left the Pittsburgh Dispatch after having done all the stuff she did in Mexico. She's not making any money. She's looking for work. She figures, okay, I got this really sweet idea. So, she literally goes to Joseph... Pulitzer's office, yes, the man that the Pulitzer Prize is named after, uh, his newspaper is the New York World, she goes up to him with an idea, an undercover, you know, embedded idea that she wants to do. She wants to go to the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island, and she wants to see if she can, A, convince the doctors and stuff that she's insane, that she's mentally ill, so that they'll uh, admit her into the asylum, and then she wants to use her time while she's admitted into the asylum to see, you know, how poorly these people are treated because there was always rumors and talk of how awful conditions were in these asylums, and they were 
spoiler alert, she found out very quickly and very much, uh, very much first person, first hand, how bad these things were. But she had heard that stuff and said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out." You know, if this sounds familiar, if you're a fan of American Horror Story, the Asylum version, a, a very similar thing happens with, um one of the characters uh she is a writer type and she goes to an asylum to write about the asylum then gets admitted only in in that case obviously it's sort of against her will and she stays there and it's whole it's a whole you know weirdo american horror story thing but for Nellie Bly's case she makes it her mission to get admitted into this lunatic asylum on Blackwall's Island and see how it goes so she spends the uh, a couple nights practicing quote expressions in front of a mirror i guess to 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 be able to convince people that she looked crazy so uh, and before i go any farther obviously um this is not to disparage people with mental illness by any means i'm using the words crazy not to be insensitive but you know crazy in the way that literally i'm reading from my notes Crazy is the word that everyone used, especially back in these days, especially when doctors were hardly doctors at this point. You know, a psychiatrist uh, of the 21st century is like a god level compared to a psychiatrist back in the, you know, late 19th century. Things have come a long way. I mean, geez, we just did an episode about the lobotomizer cracking into people's skulls in the freaking 1950s because that was still a thing that you did with mentally ill patients like 60 years ago. So it should be no surprise that in the in the 1880s that things are all kind of fucked up when it comes to mental health issues. So anyways, Nellie decides that she is going to practice her expressions, pretend that she's nuts, go crazy, and see if she can get into it. She goes to the asylum uh, and she starts being crazy, so to speak. She she kind of does a, an act where she acts crazy and then claims to have amnesia, where she can't it you know she can't remember anything and that she doesn't know her episodes of being crazy, whatever. She eventually gets in in front of a panel of doctors at that that all see her one after the other, sort of uh, just to see what's going on with her. And literally every single one, every single one declare that she was insane of course she's not insane she's just acting insane but this is medicine in terms of mental health at the time all you had to do was be like a caricature on like a Bugs Bunny cartoon and and you know wag your tongue around and some doctor and I use doctor loosely would come up and be like oh well looks like you're insane get into my asylum so we can take care of you so she gets put in front of this this panel of doctors. They all call her insane. Quote, positively demented, one of them said. I consider it a hopeless case. She needs to be put where someone will take care of her. There you go. The head of the insane pavilion at Bellevue Hospital pronounced her, quote, undoubtedly insane. So all these doctors are going nuts. Uh, what's What's happening here? Uh, it eventually is called the case of the, quote, pretty crazy girl and attracts media attention outside of what she's doing. Who is this insane girl, they are asking. This mysterious waif with the wild, haunted look in her eyes and her desperate cry, I can't remember. I can't remember. So this is how she gets herself committed into this insane asylum, into the uh, Blackwell's Island uh, Women's Lunatic 
asylum. So she then is committed. And she starts to experience the awful conditions that she suspected happened uh, firsthand and finds out that they're probably as bad, if not worse, than she thought. I will read a little bit of uh, 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 what she or what she described here and then what she actually wrote to give you an idea of what an 1880s lunatic asylum for women was like. Uh, The food consisted of gruel broth, spoiled beef, bread that was little more than dried dough, and dirty, undrinkable water. The dangerous patients were tied together with ropes. The patients were made to sit for much of each day on hard benches with scant protection from the cold. Waste was all around the eating places. Rats crawled all around the hospital. The bathwater was frigid, and buckets of it were poured over their heads. The nurses behaved obnoxiously and abusively, telling the patients to shut up and beating them if they did not. Speaking with her fellow patients, Bly was convinced that some were as sane as she was. Now, that's the most fucked up part. She pretended to be, quote, crazy, gets herself admitted to this asylum, and then she's in there with these patients, which undoubtedly some of them probably were mentally ill. Some of them probably had things like bipolar disorder that was obviously completely and utterly untreated by any way other than, you know, somebody's bipolar better throw them into a thing and, and, and lock them up. That's all we can do. You know, so somebody who has very bad untreated bipolar disorder might be extremely manic one minute, extremely depressive the next, so on and so forth. So with somebody who isn't mentally ill or or the, the society at large that isn't is going to look at that and, and not understand how to deal with it or things like, you know, multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia, things like that that were completely and utterly not understood at this time but still did exist in the human psyche were dealt with by literally saying, well, let's just throw them into a hole and see what happens. So it's easy to think, though, that when you absolutely don't understand this sort of mental health issue, that it's really easy to blur the lines or to make rules on what you think is something that that counts as being mentally ill, right? If if somebody's just, you know, looking at you the wrong way or or say somebody's just a little hysteric about a certain thing, you could construe that if you're a person who does things like that into that person being mentally ill and the way that she describes it here, that seems to have probably happened. There were probably women in that insane asylum who weren't at all insane, who weren't at all mentally ill. They were as non-mentally ill as she was the person who convinced them to admit her so that's kind of a horror horrible thing to to think about that you could literally be just living your life and somebody just declares that you are mentally ill even though you aren't and throw you into this dungeon where you're just trapped you know that you're innocent you know that whatever they say of you isn't true but it doesn't matter you're just stuck in this hellhole that's fucking nuts Jesus. All right. Anyway, she goes on. Now, this is an actual that was a descriptor. This is an actual excerpt from her from her book that she wrote, 10 Days in a Madhouse. That's just like uh, 60, just like the um, the six months in Mexico. 10 Days in a Madhouse is her second book. What she writes about her experience here. She writes, quote, what expecting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here's a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability, to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up, 
and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it takes or see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. And then she goes on to write, My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly, one after the other, three buckets of water over my head. Ice-cold water, too, in my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. So, literally, she just sits in this place, and they make them sit on benches all day, basically barely feeding them, just absolute garbage, not letting them talk to each other, being abusive, you know, when it's time to take a bath, they just dump, like, they just do the ALS ice bucket challenge all the time on these people. And that's just the existence in that place. It's just this awful, horrible place. So then she's there for 10 days. Obviously, the the title, 10 Days in a Madhouse, for her book. She's there for 10 days. The asylum releases her at um, the newspaper that she's working for, that she's working undercover for, at their behest. So they go, hey... Hey, guys, she's not really nuts. Uh, can you let her out? This is fucked up. This is really bad. We should get you out of here. And they get her out of here um, within 10 days, which is crazy how she basically thinks, you know, it's also a testament to her to her, uh, her mind, her active mind, her, her imaginative mind, her narrative, you know, investigative journalist mind, where when we were reading that, that passage just before, about talking about what could make someone insane, and her idea of, ins- of 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 being driven to madness is not being allowed to to read about the world or see the world. So, I mean, really, a a very independent type A person she is. You know, it, it's not surprising that that's the way that she she felt about everything, and so she gets out. Ten days later, she then writes her book, Ten Days in a Madhouse which causes a fucking furor, you know, an uproar, a sensation, and this is what made her a famous person. So she gained a lot of notoriety from writing this book. Um, Physicians and staff tried to explain how she could have deceived so many professionals. I have a theory. I have a hypothesis as to why they fooled her, because they're dumb and they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. The end. Nobody knew anything about anything, so all you had to do was pretend like you were smart, like you knew anything about the brain, even though at this point people are like, oh, well, the way there's uh, bumps in your skull, that that's how smart you are. Or, you know, later on, I'm going to jam an ice pick up your nose and scramble your brain up a couple times. That'll fix it. This is literally what these people deal with. And to read physicians and staff working to explain how she deceived so many professionals just makes me chuckle. Like professionals, okay, wonderful. How how could she have how could she have pulled the wool over our eyes like that? How how could she have how could she have done this? She must be some sort of sly fox. Maybe she is mentally ill. Maybe we should get her back here. Is all I can imagine them just just trying to basically, you know, trying to to rationalize their own stupid jobs. Eventually, there's a grand jury launching its own investigation into the conditions. Um, they do that. The jury's report recommends that the change uh, that she had proposed be implemented, and then they increased funds um, from the Department of Public Charities and Corrections uh, to the tune of $850,000, which is a great deal of money in the late 1800s. 
The grand jury also made sure that future examinations were more thorough so that only the seriously ill went to the asylum. I'm sure that worked out great based on, you know, history. But anyhow, good for her. So Nellie Bly embeds herself into a insane asylum, gets treated like shit, writes about it, fixes stuff, kind of in an Upton Sinclair sort of situation like he did with meatpacking plants a little bit later on in life. So that was the first thing that made her notable. That was her first crazy thing. I mentioned that she did two crazy things in her life that were cool, that were noteworthy, that made her a total badass. That was the first one. The second one, so she goes back to Pulitzer's office at the New York World, and she's got another idea. She's she's just, you know, she's like Peter Parker trying to, to sell photos to this guy, and he's uh, J. Jonah Jameson just screaming at her or whatever it is. She goes back to the office in 1888 now, and she decides to say, hey, man, hey, Pulitzer, I got another sweet idea for a story. You should give me some money, and I'm going to try to travel around the world, just circumnavigate the globe and, and however long it takes me. Um, this is based, obviously, on the popularity uh, at the time of the work Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. And she goes, let me see if I can make a trip around the world in less than 80 days. Let's see how it goes. It's going to be awesome. And obviously, with her newfound popularity and success from her first story, they decide to fund it and see how she does. So let's see how fast she can make her way around the world. So she starts. Uh, funny enough, um, in the New York newspaper Cosmopolitan, they hear about this and they decide that they're going to sponsor their own uh, person, Elizabeth Bisland, to basically race her and see if they can, if she will beat her time, see if she can do it a little bit faster than than Bly can. Well, of course she can't because Nellie Bly is a total badass, but that's besides the point. So Nellie starts her jury journey on a ship called the August the Augusta Victoria uh and and set sail eastward from New York on her journey around the world. She took with her the dress she was wearing, a sturdy overcoat, several changes of underwear, and a small travel bag carrying her toilet toiletry essentials. It's hard to talk. She carried most of her money, about 200 pounds in English banknotes and gold, as well as some American currency, in a bag tied around her neck. So she's just ready to have an adventure. Let's see what happens. So she starts her travels, and it takes her all kinds of places. She goes through England. She goes through France, where she actually meets Jules Verne, the author of Around the World in 80 Days. She goes to Brindisi, the Suez Canal, uh, Ceylon, the Straits of Settlement of Penang, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. And as she does it, she's she's sending little dispatches back to the uh, the New York world by telegraph, which at this point there's a lot of sweet under uh, uh, underwater cables that are being laid. So she sends little dispatches, not really very long messages, obviously, but little tiny things saying what she's up to, where she's at, what she's doing. Um, longer stuff she'd send by regular post, and obviously those would take fucking forever because this is still, you know, the 19th century, so whatever. She traveled a lot using steamships. She traveled on a lot of existing railroad systems, although that got her in a little bit of shit in Asia, not for anything she did, but just because it was shitty, the infrastructure was awful, so it really slowed her down. Um, she did visit a leper col colony 
in China, so that's fun, I guess. And then in Singapore, she bought herself a monkey. So there you go. She pulled uh she pulled a Ross Geller and got a monkey. So super cool. Crosses the Pacific, runs in some crazy weather, so it looks like she's gonna be uh behind schedule, may not even make you know, the eighty days, the requisite of the story. But then uh Pulitzer sees that she is getting into San Francisco, says, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make it so she gets here faster as fuck, charters a private train, gets her home, and she reaches um New York City again seventy two days later. So she beats the eighty days by eight days and she circumnavigates the entire globe almost completely by herself, mind you, which is fucking nuts, honestly. Just this lady traveling the world in a time that was not very safe for ladies to be traveling alone unfortunately, and makes the journey in 72 days, which actually was for a little while a world record. So for like a few months, and this, uh, some people continued to, as travel methods improved and people really just were out there trying to break records, very quickly her record was broken. But for a few months, Nellie Bly held a record for the fastest person to circumnavigate the Earth. So that's pretty fucking nuts. That's cool. And she continues to gain fame because of that. So there you go. Another crazy thing that she that she ended up doing. Uh, later in life, she marries a billionaire named uh, Robert Seaman. And she, she was 31 when they got married. And Robert was a, was, a, was a cool, smooth 73 years old when they got married. So she decided that I guess it's time to marry a millionaire and see what happens and see what that does in your life's fun, fantastic journey. So she does that, and that's not to imply that she didn't care about him and that she only married him for money. It just happened to be that he was like 40 years older than she was. So, oh well. He's basically dying the minute they get married. So his health shit. She retires from being a journalist and becomes literally the head of the company that he heads. So not only is she like a badass journalist, but she decides just to be like a super badass businesswoman too. Um, her husband owned Ironclad Manufacturing Company. She just takes it over when he's super stick. They're, uh, they're people that make steel containers. Um, at that point, milk cans and boilers and stuff. Uh, in 1904, her husband then eventually passes away. And the same year, Ironclad begins manufacturing the steel barrel. That was the model for the 55-gallon oil drum that you see very stereotypically everywhere that's still used today, modernly. So she was in charge of a company that made, you know, and eventually innovated the steel barrel. You know, the patent and everything is for it. And you can go, you can go view those things in the, in the patent in the patent uh, things on Google, if you just Google those, uh, the oil drum that you see in movies and weird shit and and whatever you do, that same stereotypical oil drum when when somebody says those words and it comes to your mind, they were developed by the company that she was ahead of. So there you go. Super businesswoman going nuts, inventing shit, being a part of stuff like that. Um. She also invented a novel milk can, which is patent number 697553, if you want to look that one up, and patent number 703711 for a stacking garbage can. So there you go. She's kind of like uh, Hedy Lamar, just out there inventing shit, in addition to you know just traveling around the world in 72 days and committing herself to an insane asylum 
and just having a hell of a time. And, and I, I, I can only imagine she was really into this, too, because she started her journalistic career, you know, writing about women working in the world, writing about women who are doing uh, manufacturing jobs. And she ends up being the head of a manufacturing company. Um, and you can argue, obviously, she got into that portion because she was married to the guy who was in charge of it. But she, you know, continued good work when he had passed away with that company, unfortunately, even though that for a time she was one of the leading women industrialists in the United States. So it goes from journalist to like leading manufacturing industrialist, just power CEO woman, a bunch of assholes in her company decide to embezzle money, obviously. And then the company goes bankrupt because that's what happens. So wonderful. She then just decides to say, fuck it, go back into reporting. She runs her ass over to Europe now in the early 20th century and decides to just do reporting in, you know, the Eastern Front in the war, you know, the Great War at the time, World War One. later on. So she decides, I'm just going to go fucking join a goddamn war and go write about that, too, because that's what I do. I'm Nellie Bly. I'm a fucking badass. She then starts covering women's suffrage, um, uh, notably uh, the, the Women's Suffrage Parade of 1930, 1913, where she very correctly predicted that women's suffrage would take place in 1920 in the United States where women would be given the right to vote, and that is exactly what happened. That came to fruition. Unfortunately, her flame, which burned very brightly, was extinguished in 1922, and she was only 57 years old, where she died of pneumonia at St. Mark's Hospital in New York. Um, Yeah, so very, very quickly... And, you know, unfortunately, she she lived a crazy full life, did a lot of cool stuff, you know, stuck it to the man when she was a 16 year old girl saying, fuck your stupid article, you know, girls kick ass. And the guy goes, yeah, I guess I guess they do. You better come get a job, gets a job, writes cool articles. Then guys are dickheads, puts her down, which basically inspires her to be more of a badass where she goes to Mexico, goes to an insane asylum, travels around the world in 72 days and successfully runs an iron manufacturing company and then goes, you know, journalist in the world. So uh, uh, an interesting life, a fun story, a wonderful, wonderful example of, of being persistent and being awesome and, and, you know, following your dreams and doing kick ass stuff, doing dope shit because she's a dope person, Nellie Bly. And now your non sequitur fact of the week, probably. So I forgot to, I forgot to buy a Snapple for a Snapple fact. God damn it. As I was recording this, I was like, oh shit, Snapple. My Snapple idea is dead after one episode. It's not dead. I'm going to buy a goddamn Snapple next week, and that's going to be on here. But this week, we'll just go for a simple random fact that I found on a fact website. And that fact is the average human person walks about 183 million steps in their lifetime. 183 million. Get your Fitbit out, boys. And so, we have reached the end of yet another episode. Guys, thank you so much for listening. That was episode number 14 about the amazing Nellie Bly. 
you can find this episode and every episode in the back catalog of episodes anywhere podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Casts, uh, Google Play, TuneIn, all the fun places where podcasts exist and you can search for them, you will find this podcast. Please tell your friends about it. I would love to have a few more listeners. It would be super duper fun. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of minutes now of me just talking to myself about fun historical facts. And if you like hearing interesting stories or weird stories about interesting or weird people, then you would probably like this podcast and your friends. If they're into that, you you know they may like it as well. So let them know about it. Um, I can only do so much, you guys. God damn it, I can only do so much. I can only slave away for, for two whole hours of my life making this dumb show. You guys got to meet me halfway somewhere. You got to meet me in the... It's fine. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Do what you want because nothing matters. Do do whatever you like. You can follow me for more insightful uh, advice on life like nothing matters on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You'll probably find me there uh, usually tweeting at assholes like Mike Huckabee and Roy Moore telling them that they suck. Um, or just retweeting Nihilist Arby's, or generally trying to be funny but failing always because I am not a good comedian or a comedian uh, whatsoever in the least. So go follow me there, though. It's fun. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser. Uh, not much better, but I post cool pictures. I'll probably actually post some sweet pictures from my upcoming graduation-type activities that you'll be hearing about the day this is published to the website and to the internets at large. You can find our Facebook group, Search Knowledge from the Couch Podcast, on Facebook, and you will run straight into us. And yeah, you guys, that's kind of the entire story. Like I said before, I implement chapters into the podcast now, so you can skip to whatever part of the show is interesting to you, or if the entire thing is interesting, then I encourage you to listen to all of it. If you have a spare 30 to 45 to maybe even an hour, depending on how long-winded I feel like being, this one might be one of those, depending on however long-winded I feel like being, and however patient you would like to be with your listening habits, I would love to be somebody who gets into your ear every Friday telling you some fun stories and some bullshit weird stuff facts but until then you guys until next time for episode 15 which i don't know what it'll be about we'll figure it out as we always do until that time guys thank you so so much for listening bye